Hello everyone, welcome back to Sabbath School from Home. Uh, my name's Cameron, uh, pleased to be here. Uh, Luke and Ken are not here, but that's okay, we'll look forward to them joining in a future episode. Yeah, but I am here. My name's Lachlan, and I'm looking forward to this conversation anyway. Yeah, and uh, particularly Luke's perspective, having worked in um, sort of the direct interests of and with uh, some of the poor and needy in this world, uh, it would have been perhaps a useful perspective to have for this week's topic, Locke, because we're looking at what the Psalms say about uh, about social justice, about helping the poor and, and the needy. Mm. Yeah, indeed. And I think it's a definitely a worthwhile theme. We have noted in previous episodes uh, two things. Firstly, the prominence of this theme throughout all of the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, as a concern of the prophets, as an obsession of Jesus, and as a theme in the New Testament. And the second thing we've noticed is that it's um, a, a thing we care about um, as as the, the people that host and, and convene this podcast. Um, so that will be the yeah. backdrop against which we're, or from which we're making our comments. Yeah. Um, Locke, not only do we care about it, sometimes we even do something about it. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> it's much easier. It's much easier, of course, to care about something than it is to actually do something. And yeah. um, anyway, I've got a personal story to relate to this just before we kick off. Um, so our listeners who've listened before will know that I um, have done some academic work. Um, so I have a PhD in pure maths and I um, left high school and, and taught for the next three years um, four unit maths, which is a pretty difficult maths course. Uh, in New South Wales in Australia um, at the high school while I was finishing a teaching degree and then um, I've subsequently done uh, some tertiary work and some tertiary lecturing and I have a bit of a burden for helping math people see maths in new and interesting ways and um, without going into any of the specifics my life's been pretty chaotic for the last 12 months and the, the way things have uh, worked out is that the work the only work I can take this year that um, fits into my schedule and meets the needs of my family is with a school called the Tasmanian E-School. And the Tasmanian E-School has about 400 students uh, doing school from home. And this is pretty remarkable. Tassie only has 10% the population of Sydney. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not a large population, but it's spread across the state. And there's a few people doing uh, school from home because they're in remote areas, but not many. There are a few uh, uh, girls doing it with uh, either during pregnancy or with a young baby. Uh, there's a few people enrolled who are travelling with family. The overwhelming majority of students are students with acute anxiety, ADHD, autism, or any combination of those three. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the overwhelming majority. And I have been really challenged by the daily reminder, because because my expertise is in sort of tricky maths, <laughs> the students um, that I'll be teaching this year are, are very struggling students. Right. Um, some of them are barricaded in their bedrooms, more or less. They don't speak even to their parents. They have super acute social anxiety, and they are unlikely to consistently attend my class. But when they do... I may be the only um, calm, stable 
adult that they talk to or and they don't talk to you anyway they tend to text chat with you mm. um, so you we talk to them and then they reply by text and um, it has been a very important uh, spiritual experience to sort of prepare myself for teaching these students to to try and work out exactly what the goals and objectives are and and uh, it's quite a different shift and in terms of um, in terms of uh, people's ability at mathematics, which is highly varied, uh, my focus has not been on, on, as it were, the least of these. Uh, my focus has, in my career up to date has been on helping gifted students excel. Hmm. Um, so that's one thing. I will just say that uh, what I said was slightly euphemistic when I said it's been a spiritual experience to prepare myself. The preparation has been... Uh, entirely psychological rather than administrative and I still don't have a contract and I don't have access to any of the class roles <laughs> and the students students start on Thursday and um, the e-school is a wonderful institution the staff care for each other a lot and um, but it is a school that they have difficulty staffing so it was staffed sort of at the last minute it's also a school where they have 50% student turnover in a given year because some students join the e-school from their school. And, mm. of course, the success story for the e-school is when they leave us to go back to their school. Yep. So, you know, something you work hard and you try hard and eventually, and then you might support them partially at the e-school and partly in their school. And then if things go well, you, you lose the student and other students turn up. So uh, it is not possible for the e-school to prepare for the year in the same way it is possible for a normal school. And I am still totally adjusting. We, I, I went in there today, which was the first day back for staff. And the students come back on Thursday. And um, there were sort of some generic staff meetings and teachers were sort of coming to grips with which classes they'd been allocated this year and trying to touch base with the person who taught it last year. And it seemed to me some very sort of basic level. Um, and I, I had been feeling quite stressed about being completely unprepared. Um, but when I sat and chatted with some people over some delicious scones in the morning tea room for about an hour and then had them say, well, I guess I better go and, and uh, you know, <laughs> check up on a few things, I realised that I was working in a, a place with slightly different sort of um, stress levels. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it was. it's going to be an interesting experience. But it is, it's really my first job that I've had where the explicit goal that I have is to care for people at the margins. Mm. Well, uh, I mean, that's that's a really interesting perspective. As you say, it, I, I don't think I have anything quite as, as prominent in my mind. Um, but I certainly know that the, the general, the average, let me say it this way, the average socioeconomic background of uh, students at the University of Newcastle in New South Wales, where I lecture, um, being a slightly more regional university is is typically lower than you would find at some of the the universities in a big city like Sydney. Um, I know that I have encountered uh, you know senior physics students that have had to switch to part time because their parents became unemployed and basically uh, you know early twenties uni student was the primary breadwinner in the family for a, yeah. a period of half uh -huh. a year. Um, you can imagine how much that alters the priority landscape of their life uh, when it comes to things like yes. submitting assignments on time. <laughs> and, yes. and obviously that's, um, uh, 
very important to to be aware of and and to find ways to to sort of work yeah. around. That's that's hardly an yeah. equivalent scenario, but but you're right. Even in our just fairly regular lives and and workplaces, I think that we are constantly reminded, or we can be regularly reminded, that there are poor and needy people, um, not just in Old Testament biblical times, yeah. but but definitely plenty of them in our world and in our lives. And we are going to call ourselves out on this, uh, Locke, um, as much as we are going to call the lesson out on this. But you read me a statement before we started recording about how important it was from the lesson, about how important it was for us to look after the poor and needy, which... I think it, it even said it... It said it, This was a question at the end of... Um, uh, Monday's lesson for the week. How much do we think of the poor and needy among us, and how much do we do for them? Can you can you hear the the us and them categorization happening there? <laughs> yeah, and one wonders now. Like we, I mean, all four presenters of this podcast have uh, uni degrees and parents with uni degrees and grandparents with you know, and and a sort of a history of. Um, it's, in that sense, look, it's not a very diverse set of presenters. Oh, there's a number of axes on which we definitely don't tick the diversity yeah. box. That's for sure. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> well, not on that. Not on gender. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, but uh, the Adventist Church being a global church, one wonders how those statements read, mm. and how do they read in places which might not be monetarily poor? How do they read in the Ukraine? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think. So I think there's two aspects to this. The first aspect is that I think it is almost always true, whoever you are in the world, that you are comparatively wealthy compared to someone else, um, especially if you are reading. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm simplifying yeah. things a little bit there, but <laughs> but the 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 fact remains, and and I think you know at the moment. Certainly around the world, I think this is a common narrative. In Australia, it's a very common narrative at the moment. Cost of living pressures, inflationary consumer price indexes, um, not adequately matched uh, wage increases. Uh, the last 12 months has really been um, a lot. The, it's been a much more common topic of conversation to con- to sort of discuss uh, financial hardship and and all of this sort of thing. Uh, that doesn't yeah. necessarily make one poor on a global scale, uh, but it but it shifts the mindset a little bit um, in, into into viewing the world that way. And um, yeah. you know, I just I, I think your comment was a really really good one, which is what if what if we are the poor and needy? The the Sabbath school lessons wording kind of doesn't consider that possibility. Yeah, and the need is in so many different forms. What if you um, live in a war-torn zone? Or mm. what happens if you're suffering from mental illness? Yeah. Um, in, in fact, the lesson, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but it does make reference to the fact that, that this category, if you like, of poor and needy doesn't have to be just defined in terms of, of you know, financial um, or, mm. or, or, you know, assets and wealth. So the point you're making, I think, is really is really important. There's a lot of ways that we can encounter people in need and that we can be in need ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the psalm that we've chosen today certainly sort of fits that 
general paradigm. So, yeah. um, Locke, do you want to start reading it? Yeah, well, this is Psalm 41, and it's one of the Psalms referred to by the lesson quarterly this week. It's fascinating that the um, the lesson particularly picked out the first three verses. I'm going to read them, and then I'll read just a little bit further. We're going to read the entire psalm. This is Psalm 41. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they're in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemy. The Lord nurses them while they are sick and restores them to health. There's this them language. But notice what happens, and I'm now following exactly on. This is starting in verse 4. O Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. But my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. They visit me as if they were my friends, but all the while they gather gossip, and when they leave, they spread it everywhere. All who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst. He has some fatal disease, they say. He will never get out of that bed. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me. Raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Yeah. So the entirety of that psalm after the first three verses is actually from the first person's perspective of being in a state of need. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about what the need is. It doesn't seem to be, in this case, uh, poor in a monetary sense. Yes. Um, He seems possibly to be unwell, Mm -hmm. physical health. but that is not his primary uh, complaint. His, his primary complaint is the betrayal of friends and the social isolation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually quite an evocative um, context or, or scene that's being painted, isn't it? Yeah. So my translation says, uh, My enemies say of me in malice. When will he die and his name perish? <laughs> uh, it just has to qualify. Um they're not, you know, worried on my behalf. Yeah, how much longer will he last? Uh, it specifically points out they're saying it in malice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when one comes to see me, he utters empty words. That was what you, you um, your translation said, pretending to be a friend. Mm, okay. Um, the ESV says he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. Ah. I think. I think gossip is possibly a, a better translation because this iniquity is then circulated. Mm. Whispers. All yes. who hate me whisper. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I find myself pondering when I, when I read through this, uh, who am I, I, where am I identifying myself? Who am I identifying with in this described scene? It's hardly a story. It's more like a little vignette or snapshot. It's a, it's a verbal description of a, of a short, specific moment of experience. There's no explanation of the background. There's no explanation, really, of what comes next. It's, it's not a, a story, um, but it has characters. Uh, am, I, am I the one praying for the Lord's mercy on me? I... Am I the close friend in whom someone's trusted? Yeah. 
I mean, that's the... That's it. That's it. Am I um, ima- you know, sim- whispering about someone, imagining the worst? Yeah. There's, there's a... Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, you know, it's interesting when it comes to the cross. I have heard people suggest that we find ourselves in this story in the person of Barabbas, the hmm. person who is justly accused but is let off and Christ takes his place. But I have never heard a sermon that suggests we are the Pharisees, yeah. and Sadducees and church leaders, or that we are Pontius Pilate. Um, you mm. know, we are perhaps a little too selective in, in how we identify ourselves um, in Bible stories. Yeah. Well, there's an element that, that jumps out at me as a little bit co- contradictory, I suppose. In verse 4, um, the prayer of this character, as soon as this psalm switches to first person, uh, O Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. Now, that seems to be a um, an admission of having done wrong. Mm. Uh, by the time it gets to verse 12, uh, you know, after after asking to be made well, verse 12, you have preserved my life because I am innocent. Um, it's... Well, you know, that's interesting. The ESV says because of my integrity, yeah, which is okay. not the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's maybe that's the trouble. I'm 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 reading from the New Living Translation, which is more of a paraphrase, and it's trying to put, um, I guess. Well, a let's bit have a look at this like, because the, the difference between having integrity and being innocent. Um, mm. uh, you know, for instance, what am I trying to say? One of the marks of integrity is to own up quickly when you realise you've done wrong. Yeah, such a person would still have integrity, uh, but may not, in fact, be innocent. Yeah. Uh, so let me just have a look at the NIV. Oh, I wonder what it says in the King James Version. Because ah. Psalms read really well in the King James Version. Because of my integrity. Uh, NIV uses integrity as well. Yeah, I just flicked um, open to the New Revised Standard Version, the NRSV, uh, which I I think is, is considered a, f- a fairly formal translation. Uh, verse 12, um, upheld me because of my integrity. But in uh, verse four, it's the same sense. Uh, Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, King James uses integrity as well. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Verse ten says, uh, uh, "Be thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them." Oh, I don't know if I've ever requited some uh, someone lot. I just flicked open to the message, going the opposite direction to a to a more. Uh, paraphrase and and evocative language uh, verse 11 and 12 in the message read meanwhile i'm sure you're on my side no victory shouts yet from the enemy camp you know me inside and out you hold me together you never fail to stand me tall in your presence so i can look you in the eye so the that's that's just a yeah a well expressed sentiment yeah. But it doesn't speak specifically to integrity versus innocence. It's it speaks of God's esteem. Uh, it, it it conveys the idea that the by verse twelve the author is making a statement of confidence about what they what they see as as God's opinion or evaluation of them. They've said all these people in my life are evaluating me and dismissing me, evaluating me negatively and dismissing me. But I, I know that God doesn't do that. Look, I noticed uh, something else that I, I'm not sure if it will develop into further ideas, um, but we'll see where it leads us. There does seem to be some uh, broad structure, at least some parallel in the way this psalm opens and closes. 
Uh, it starts with an assertion that the person who helps the poor is blessed mm. and that God delivers him and that the Lord protects him and keeps him alive. Ah. And yes. the psalm ends with the statement that the Lord is blessed from everlasting to everlasting. Yes. Now, I guess it's only vague, but it's a statement that something is blessed and a, a, a statement of its continuance. Um, I wonder, is there anything more to be made of the fact that the psalmist has chosen to start with a statement that the person who helps the poor is blessed and finish with a statement that the Lord is blessed? I don't even know what it means to say, blessed be the Lord. Yeah. What? Um, it's the psalmist. I mean, there are lots of material ways in which God can be blessed. If, for instance, we know that it makes God happy when we are nice to other people, then... Um, when we are nice to other people, we are in that sense blessing God with a good experience. Mm -hmm. And so there is sort of a legitimate sense in which a person can... Yeah. I mean, it's actually an interesting thought because we sing songs in church about this. I'm thinking of one that goes, Blessed be your name. Um, yeah. That's a very similar f sort of phrase to, um, you know, blessing God. Uh it's interesting. The, I mean, yeah. the, the the mirroring there in the structure of the psalm goes a bit further because in the middle, the complaint of this uh, this person speaking in the first person voice is that, it, it, as you mentioned, it seems they are unwell. Mm. It seems they are sick. Uh, they have been dismissed, rejected, isolated, despised by those around them. But in verse three, mm. um, the Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. As part of this description of the blessing from God, um, it, it's, it's got this specific kind of restoration from sickness to health. And then it goes on to describe this, this situation of sickness. And then in verse 10, have mercy on me, Lord, make me well again. So there's this, there's this re-echoing of that. There's also, idea. Yeah. There's also this, um, uh, play on the continuance of life. So the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. That's in the, in mm. the final verses. And in the opening verses, it's the Lord protects and keeps the person alive who, who looks after the interests of the poor. Yeah. But in the middle, the whispers, those who whisper against him, are saying mm. he'll soon be dead. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a clear contrast. Um, do you think this is something that was slightly ambiguous to me in the first reading of this psalm. Um, the first couple of verses, is this describing a blessing, the Lord blessing the poor, or the Lord blessing the person who has been kind to the poor? Uh, the translation I'm looking at says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Yeah, okay. Is Is that giving us any insight into the... Declaration in verse four: Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Is is the person here saying, "I've I've actually had a reality check, and I'm realizing that I've not been as attentive to the poor in my life." Yeah, I wonder. I mean, that's a bit speculative, but I wonder. And then they're they're realizing it because they are now living that moment in a state of poorness. As you identified, not necessarily anything to do with finances, but they have this because this is this is the whole conundrum, right? Even if you're not a Christian believer, even if you're have a totally different view of the world, 
I've certainly encountered many people, you know, there's the idea of karma, that many people have this firmly held conviction that you do the right thing regularly, and it doesn't mean everything goes smoothly for you, but in general and on average, the universe seems to reward the doing of the right thing. You know, I've heard I've heard this sort of sentiment. What 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 yeah. a Christian worldview might say as um, you know, live faithfully the loving kindness of God, and um, he will he will bless you with abundance or with peace or whatever. Yeah. Um, it seems that same idea is in fact empirically guessed at by a whole range of different views of the th- world and the universe. I think it's empirically true that by and large, well, I mean, obviously I believe it's true, not just empirically, but, you know, that um, that a good life is not just good in the moral sense, it's also good in the sense that a good apple is a good apple. Mm. Oh, that's a good apple because it tastes good, you know. Yeah. So um, uh, that a good life is also a good life. Yeah. Um, and And... I think that's true. There are obvious problems with it, and a very good close friend of mine um, told me just today that his dad, who has been fighting leukemia for about ten years, um, died hmm. after innumerable treatments and and bone marrow transplants and and any number of false hopes. Yeah, uh, he he just was one of the few percenters that didn't respond to any treatment, and. Um, of course, we don't have to look outside Scripture, though, to find examples of that sort, in particular with this psalm, because this psalm is the psalm Christ quotes in reference to Judas, the one mm. who has eaten bread with me, oh. has turned his hand against me. The one who shared my food has turned against me. Mm. This is mm. what Christ says at the, at the Last Supper. Now, any... Statement, And again, I fall back on one of Lewis's quotes, which I've referred to so often. I won't go through it again. But his statement was that when he pondered this, he he said there's a mystery in this that even if he had the capacity, he might not have the courage to mm. fathom. But any statement where you say on average a good life has to will bring good, mm. which is in the light of Christ's life, must require some interpretation. Now, I would say that a life with purpose however short, it's better than a life without purpose. Mm. And I think I could still argue that Christ's life was a good life in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but you could hardly say it was uniformly pleasant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess my, my observation is that the there seems to be plenty of counterexamples where good lives don't pay off. Uh, pay off there in quotes, in air quotes, kind of, kind of you know someone's been kind generous been been a, a giving contributing person in society and and gets a really really hard run um but if i i guess what i'm saying is against that backdrop it seems surprising to me that that humans from so many different worldviews seem convinced of this of this reality that in general, those are those are exceptions, and that the the more dominant, I sort of um, the more likely outcome is that it will somehow come back and and, and pay back goodness. Um, giving of goodness into the universe comes back to you as goodness. And there's, and there's famous stories, isn't there, about Winston Churchill's father? Was it rescuing 
a boy who was drowning and that boy later went on to discover and develop penicillin which saved Winston Churchill's life. Right. Um, and there's the story of the pilot in World War Two who was on the eve, in the weeks leading up to the war, he could see the war was coming, was in the process of leaving Germany, who was a British pilot working in Germany, um, gave refuge to and helped help to escape a, a emaciated, worn-out, run-down f- Jewish uh, refugee who was hmm. fleeing the, the Nazi regime um, in power at the time, and um, this guy looked like a complete scarecrow, and uh, he was in fact a um, a very talented surgeon who later in the war worked and, and treated that same pilot. <laughs> and, yeah, and you know these stories get a lot of airtime. Yeah, because they I think they do hint at a, a truth. And so you ask the question. So my friend, um, whose dad had leukemia, you say, ah. Oh, Bad luck. I mean, look at all the bad luck he got. Hmm. Um, would his life really have been better had he lived a selfish life instead of a, yeah. a generous life? I mean, uh, what was the better alternative to the life he lived? Um, <laughs> mm. Mm, so, that's an interesting uh, one. It, yeah, I don't know. But I do see that in the person of Christ, a lot of the seeming... Um, it's tempting to say to a psalm like this, uh, well, that's a bit simple. Mm. It's just it just doesn't work out like that in the real world, at least not consistently. Um, when we see Christ quoting this psalm at the Last Supper, just prior to his you know, drawn-out and very painful death, um, you, and, and, but we shouldn't make a note of this um, and subsequent resurrection because mm. the crucifixion wasn't the end. Mm. In the light of that connection and that parallel, Cam, let me read verse 11 and 12. I know you are pleased with me, for you have not let my enemies triumph over me. You have preserved my life, perhaps restored my life, because I am innocent. You have brought me into your presence forever. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, of power in that. And you think of, um, you think of Jesus saying, okay, well, here's a New Testament parallel. And again, it's one that I've talked about lot on this podcast, but not at least for a couple of months. So I'll throw it in again. Um, the story of Lazarus, where Jesus says to his disciples, up front, this sickness won't end in death. Yeah. And the disciples have real and immediate and frequent evidence of their own senses that Christ is fully capable of at a distance healing people. And he has just now promised that the sickness won't end in death. And you say, what a relief. And that seems like the opening of this psalm. Mm. And then... And then <laughs> He gets a message and says, oh, by the way, Lazarus has died. And then he says, and I'm glad this has happened because it will help you believe in me, which is the most impossible wind-up. The poor disciples must have just been so out of their mind. And that seems to me perhaps like the middle of this psalm. Mm. Of course, the sickness didn't end in death. Yeah. I mean, Lazarus did die, but that just wasn't the end. Mm. Um, I guess that was what we said about Jesus as well. That's what we said about Jesus as well. So... Um, maybe this truth that we feel, maybe when we say the universe ought to be this way, uh, a critic would say it's pie in the sky, wishful thinking. Hmm. We want the universe to be a place where good is rewarded. Um, I might speak to that afterwards. But um, this idea that the universe is a place where it is good to be good uh, is actually a fundamental truth. Hmm. Um, Of course, we could all be mistaken. It could be wishful thinking, but that would be odd 
I mean, you don't get out of any way out of this problem without meeting something that's a bit strange. Mm. Um, why would an indifferent universe give rise to a moral pattern with the complexity that we have where we see justice and moral issues around us all the time mm. with such a clear conception, Some this sort of semi-universal con- uh, conception that uh, ultimately good will triumph or that it is good to be good mm. um, if it were not grounded in anything... Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's a weird thing to suddenly emerge um, if it has no basis at all in any sort of abstract truth. And again, quoting Lewis, um, he said, it's, it's as odd as if a fish were suddenly surprised at the wetness of water. <laughs> but we are constantly surprised by the wetness of water. Like, we live in this world all the time mm. in this moral landscape, but we're still surprised. Yeah. So, oh, that shouldn't be that way. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think to me the overall... Um in a way we've been sidestepping the 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 key point here which is the absolutely unambiguous um call to be attentive to the poor and needy we're allowed i think to sidestep it a bit in this this episode because as i mentioned in the introduction we've been we've been harping on about that theme in lots of episodes it's a consistent idea throughout the bible and and in our in our minds i think what what jumps out at me from this discussion on um this psalm is that not only is it a sort of instruction by god but it's actually just fairly clearly to me at least the the better way to engage with the world the the psalm seems to suggest that god will bless those that that are paying attentive uh, that are are giving kindness to, to the poor but then the psalm also seems to imply that one really good reason for that is you never know when you might be poor. And that was kind of what we what we yeah. gently critiqued the, the question from the lesson about. Um, the poor can't always just be them as opposed to the us who are not poor. Yeah. Um, poorness of health, poorness financially, poorness of um, social connection, isolation – um, poorness of confidence yeah. and, and mental health. Um, and some of these things, yeah. just like uh, can, poverty, can, can actually come upon you a little bit unexpectedly. So in that sense, yeah. the world is far better <laughs> if it's full of people that are kind to the poor because we all might be poor at times. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think that's almost a selfish motivation and I'm slightly uncomfortable about that, but I think it's still actually a really profound truth about, about the, well, the priority. And on the subject of it being selfish, um, you know, when Christ says that he who gives up his life finds true life, the person mm. who tries to hang on to his own life loses it. Mm. Um, he is exactly asserting this idea that it is actually in your best interests yeah. to look after their best interests. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess our prayer can only be that God helps us see more clearly and gives us the capacity and the desire to help people. And uh, that might be a good place to wrap it up, Lot. Yeah, I think so. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And please join us again next week. It is the silly season of the year for us, so I, I'm just starting at new schools, obviously, despite not having any contracts or access to classes or anything else. And, like, I know the uni year is kicking off and... Um, Ken's coming out of a bit of a busy time. Christmas is a bit of a busy time for him. Yeah, when you've um, got that many children. Um. Yes, and also <laughs> when you 
when you've got that many people drinking that much alcohol, the number of people that have to be remanded in custody for drink driving and need to go bail <laughs> increases. So um, I, uh, it's a different perspective on the world when you're talking. But he did actually pop in. I think it was I can't remember if it was Christmas Boxing Day to. Um, obviously, you don't want people locked up over the holiday season. Hmm. So if someone has been drink driving twice over the limit or something, you want to deal with it as a kindness. Mm. And uh, the magistrate's court doesn't shut down. Anyway, hopefully we'll we'll meet some sort of stability soon, Locke, and be able to have all four of us on the podcast again. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to that. And in the meantime, um, we'll continue to put out episodes and yeah. we appreciate knowing that, that people are listening to them and finding them valuable. I had a comment just this last week from, from a, a long-time listener um, just reiterating that they, they do still listen and do still enjoy it. And that, of course, is is really pleasant feedback to have. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. Share this podcast with anyone who you feel uh, would benefit and uh, join us again next week. Mm-hmm.